Welcome. You've landed on the Daily Objective from the Ayn Rand Center UK. I'm Jonathan Honig from CapitalistPig.com. And here we are. This is the largest producer of objectivist-related content in the world. We bring you literally a network of original programming inspired by objectivism with some of the biggest names and students in objectivism. Now, we're all students of objectivism, but we're bringing to people like James Valiant, Don Watkins, Harry Binswanger, Rucka Rucka Ali, television and movie star Mark Pellegrino, and so many others day after day after day with original programming. And we're only able to do it, not by government largesse, but by your support. So we need you in the super chat today, $2, $5 if you've never given before, today's the day to do it. And you know, I know these are inflationary times, so if you'd normally give four pounds, do five pounds now, and we're going to shout you, uh, shout you out in the super chat, and of course, welcome you to our philosophy posse. And we're here every day with the Ayn Rand, uh, with the Daily Objective, and glad you're joining us today. Take this opportunity also to say to ring the bell, do a like, and become a subscriber, become a member. That way, you're going to get VIP invites to uh, sit downs with Harry, sit down with James, learning about the Fountainhead, really insightful stuff to make your journey and learning about Ayn Rand and objectivism, that much more fun. And that's what it's all about, not winning politi political arguments on the internet, but by enjoying life. Now, Ayn Rand uh, talked about objectivism as a philosophy for living on earth. So we're gonna take a little bit of today's topic, as they say, rip from the headlines and talk about some unfortunate ways in, in which Americans now are dying on earth against their will. But I wanna just quickly shout out some of our members already in the super chat, Joey Spinoza, Robert Nasser. He says you want to be drafted in the ARC UK army. Well, you're going to do it voluntarily and you do it right now, as I said, by two pounds, four pounds. It really means a lot to help keep uh, this programming on, on the air every day for you day after day after day. So I've got a great program for you today, as I said. And um, as we're going along, if you see something you like, make a shout out on the super chat, give a super chat, or if you're a member, make a comment and we're gonna to get to it as we go. This is not strictly objectivism. We're all, as I said, students of objectivism. And, uh, and thank you, Gail, Gail Parker, who's such a great member and, and supporter of the Ayn Rand Center UK. She asks great questions. She poses great ideas. She interacts with her experts. She brings new things to the table. And uh, certainly she helps us financially day after day. So thank you, Gail, for your really generous uh, contribution. Now, we're all students of objectivism, but I'm gonna start with this idea, obviously from Ms. Rand, uh, Ayn Rand's Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. The article is The Wreckage of the Consensus. And as I said, ripped from today's headlines of all the statist violations of individual rights in a mixed economy, the military draft is the worst is an abrogation of rights. It negates man's fundamental right, the right to life, and establishes the fundamental principle of statism, statism, that a man's life belongs to the state, and the state may claim it by compelling him to sacrifice it in battle. And as always, Ms. Rand, you know, she was ahead of her time and saw things, and I, don't, I have a feeling I understand what she'd think of the scene in Russia right now. Now, I know a lot of what you're saying is, things that apply right now in Russia in terms of uh, uh, coercion and the draft could apply to what's happening in Ukraine as well. But Russia is the clear aggressor in this uh, conflict. So I wanna talk about them. They are the, Ukraine is the victim in this conflict. So we're gonna talk about what's happening in Russia. And obviously what's happening is a terrible conscription. 
and just a complete sacrifice of hundreds of thousands of citizens, let alone young citizens. Here's the headline from AFP, detained Russians, protesters face conscription or jail. So if you're out in Russia, simply just protesting, protesting, not using force, protesting, raising your voice and support in opposition, well, obviously in opposition, you now are arrested and you're even given two choices. You go fight in a war or you're going to jail. Either way, your life is sacrificed. That is the Divergor philosophy in Russia. Uh, 10 years in the clink or more, or go and we're going to give you a gun after two weeks sacrifice and send you to the front lines as, as cadden fodder. Cadden fodder. Uh, Putin has signed a law setting up a jail term for 10 years for you evade military duty due to mobilization. So they're going to call you up if you say, I'm not going, or if you evade, they're going to put you in jail for 10 years. So what's the implication there? Your life truly belongs to the state. That is statism. And how absolutely horrifying is it? And if you enlist and then you desert, 15 years. And what's so frightening is that they're looking for anyone in Russia. Russia the Russian airline, which of, co of course is 51% owned by the state, right? another byproduct of what's evil about state ownership of the economy, fascism, is that people who just work for the airline now are getting conscription notices. So you, you, know, you work at the airline, you're a mechanic, you're a flight attendant, you're a call supervisor, and all of a sudden you're getting a conscription notice, come fight in this unjust, fundamentally unjust war. You know, Ms. Rand also understood the ramifications and she talked about the ramifications to the victims in this. There's a lot of victims when it comes to statism, but the victims of the young people, primarily young people who were conscripted for uh, historically as well. The years, this is again from Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, the years from about 15 to 25 are the crucial formative years of a man's life. This is the time when he confirms his impressions of the world, of other men, of the society in which he is to live, when he acquires conscious convictions, defines his moral values, chooses his goals, and plans his future, developing or renouncing ambition. These are the years that mark him for life. It's true. And think about that, those crucial years, formative years, and know that as we speak, Putin is drafting teenagers, literal teenagers. Again, this is, I believe, from AFP. Look at, look at this photo of little boys drafted to fight in Ukraine by Putin. These are barely pubescent kids. And it's, it's horrifying to think not just that these little boys you know, with their little skinny arms and backpacks, school kids are being drafted in their most, but they're being drafted, as Ms. Rand talked about, in their most formative years. And the, the, the quote continues that, you know, Putin's, this is my interpretation, you know, Putin's justification of all this is altruism, sacrifice for the glory of Russia, the glory of the state. And if you look at any of Putin's signage and propaganda and, and media, of course, that's what's all about. You know, you're fighting for the state, you're fighting for the glory of Russia. And Ms. Rand writes now, it is for these years, she's talking about those young years, 15 to 25, that an alleged humanitarian society forces him to spend in terror, the terror of knowing that he can, he can plan nothing and count on nothing, that any road he takes can be blocked at any moment by an unpredictable power, i.e. a power like this who starts a war, that barring his fusion, 
barring his vision of the future, there stands the gray shape of barracks and perhaps beyond it, death for some unknown reason in some alien jungle. Now she was talking about Vietnam, but this is of course exactly what's happening in Russia right now. These people, young people, old people had a future planned and all of a sudden it's now blocked, completely blocked for the, she writes, the gray shape of the barracks and perhaps beyond it, death for some unknown reason, some alien jungle. So what are people doing, rational people doing in Russia? They're getting the out of there. Uh, this is from uh, Axios. Satellite photos show 10 mile long traffic jam at Russian border. People are doing anything they can to leave Russia. You've read about this. Flights to anywhere that still allow visa-free travel are sold out or they're, I actually looked, they're thousands and thousands of dollars US, which is extraordinarily for expensive for Russia. And the satellite images here are, you know, people, huge traffic jams uh, to places like Georgia and Mongolia, which don't uh, require visas. And for this, of course, I think there's an appropriate uh, Milton Friedman quote, not from Miss Rand, but from Milton Friedman, that look at the way people vote with their feet before you judge which society gives them better conditions. And you can talk about certainly in people from unfree parts of South America wanting to come to America for better lives and to become part of the American dream, or people wanting to get the fuck out of Russia, which is literally conscripting them, putting them in jail or sending them to fight in a war that they don't wanna be part of. Now, if we really wanted to give a big, you know what, to Putin, why not offer for a period of time, as long as Russia is invading Ukraine, for example, asylum to people in Russia? You know, you could get some really smart people and capable people, motivated people who wanna be in freedom, who don't wanna be, you know, uh, cannon fodder of the state. And why not offer them to asylum? You know, live up to the motto or live up to the text in the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. These people wanna breathe free. They don't, they wanna live their lives. They wanna produce, they wanna create, they wanna have a relationship. They wanna, you know, live. Send these homeless tempest toasts to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I mean, can you think of a better screw you to Putin in that? I mean, how cool would that be? And of course, it doesn't cost us anything. It benefits us. Immigration benefits us. And the point here I'm trying to make is the moral is the practical. The draft is immoral. And look what's happening with these conscripts. I mean, are they getting real soldiers? There's been tons of social media out this week. This is from Newsweek of, and I saw this, this is, you know, footage of conscripts, you know, two days into their service, completely passed out and drunk because these guys are scared to hell. I mean, they're going to fight on the front lines. You know, they were in an office or doing something else a couple of you know, days ago. Um, it's absolutely horrifying. And, uh, you know, they're victims, but this is what makes politics so important is that you, if you fall asleep at the wheel of politics, you quickly lose all rights. And, you know, you end up just, as we say, cannon fighter from the state. How to break arm is trending in Russia now. This is what people are doing. They're trying to get injured somehow where they just cannot be sent to the front lines. They can't hold a gun, they can't do anything. And someone literally, and how horrifying is that? Can you imagine being all of a sudden being given a choice? I've got to either go probably get shot and killed in, in God knows where for no reason, or just break my arm. I mean, how horrifying is that? 
how below man is that? I mean, this is the 21st friggin' century. And this is what's going on with a supposedly civilized country, a country that's in the United Nations, is that its citizens are feeling like they have to break their arms. It never happened in America, despite all the talk about how America is. We're not seeing that now at all. We never have. Miss Rand explains it now, again, from the wreckage of the consensus. If the state may force a man to risk death or hideous maiming and crippling in a war declared at the state's discretion for a cause he may neither approve of nor even understand, if his consent is not required to send him into unspeakable martyrdom, then in principle, all rights are negated in that state and its government is not man's protector any longer what else is there left to protect? And I, of course, I totally agree with that. If they can round you up, put you on a train, dot, 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 and send you with some rifle out to the front lines and say, shoot, or we're sending you jail, you have no life. That is statism. That is Russia and so many other evil, evil, evil countries. And for a period of time, America as well. I can't leave that off the table. Ms. Rand wrote this in the context of the Vietnam War. And as you'll I'll explain in a minute, what she wrote had a, a profound impact on the country, America, and I think the culture uh, globally. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Look what's happening now in, in Russia. You've got troops coming in. People are protesting against the draft. Old mothers, young people, they don't want to have their kids and their family sent unwillingly to be in this army as, as cannon fodder. And you, now you're having you know, Putin's henchmen come in and, and put them down. This is a tweet now from somebody on the ground. While police use batons to put down protests in Moscow and St. Petersburg, they're already using batons, in Dagestan, they're firing shots into the air. I saw this, uh, th saw this uh, uh, video. The risk of sending the Ukraine is much higher. In the, so in the country, you know, there's less connectivity, I suppose, with the world, probably less wealth. So they're taking people from the country, sending them first. Um, just how unbelievably horror. And, you know, this is that anyone goes. Uh, a 63-year-old man with diabetes and severe brain injury has reportedly been called up to fight in Ukraine as part of Vladimir Putin partial mobilization. So, you know, what can you say? And as Robert, who is a member of our Super Chat, uh, or member of our, our YouTube group, says, um, how are you... How are you to decide who lives and who dies and what by what right? Sure, use a lottery. Does that justify the conscription of the guy whose number comes up? It's exactly right. I mean, if, and as Ms. Rand talks about it, we'll say in just a minute, if you can't field an army to protect a country voluntarily, then you can't protect that country. And what is the, what, you know, it, it's not only, it, it's not only impractical to, you know, uh, call people up, as we said. I mean, they're doing anything to break their arm not to have to fight, but it truly is immoral as well. And that's why it's the case. And Robin says, she can't understand who would think that is a moral thing to do. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's happening, as we said, in, in major countries, certainly in Russia in a, the most horrific explicit way, but in America for a long time as well. This Rand points out in this article, a volunteer army is the, only proper moral and practical way to defend a free country. Let me say it again. A volunteer army is the only proper moral and practical way to defend a free country. 
Should a man volunteer to fight if his country is attacked? Yes. If he values his own rights and freedom, a free or even semi-free country has never lacked volunteers in the face of foreign aggression. I'll get into that in just a minute. But I want to make this point because it's not known, and I think it's so important, especially to young people today, just getting into Ayn Rand, is that Miss Rand had a major impact in getting the draft repealed here in America. This is from Dr. Greg Salmieri's book, uh, A Companion to Ayn Rand, quoting now, there's some evidence that Rand influenced the decision to eliminate the draft in the United States. In 1967, Rand argued that the draft was in fact not necessary for the defense of a free society. Thank you, Robert, very generous contribution. Uh, and I'll I stop, of course, for all of our contributions. Money talks, as they say, Robert says, a country which cannot raise a voluntary army has no right to do so by force. If it collapses as a, as a result, it deserves to collapse. By what right do you or anyone have, uh, have to demand otherwise? Agree with that wholeheartedly. And thank you, Mary Aline, the so-called godmother of the Iran Center UK for all these generous contributions. They keep us able to keep this material coming to you every day. And I think this point is so important. Look, even if you know nothing else about Ayn Rand, know that one of Ayn Rand's associates at the time, a man by the name of Martin Anderson, as, it, as Dr. Semieri points out, he was an associate of Ayn Rand's and at the time, a contributor to the Objectivist newsletter. So he was in her circle. He was hearing all this material. He uh, proposed an all-voluntary military to Richard Nixon. Nixon adopted it as a campaign promise, and as president in 1969, established a commission on an all-volunteer armed force chaired by Thomas Gates, which included Greenspan, who at the time was also a very close associate of Ayn Rand. So let me just say, can you imagine, I mean, now having two, not just objectivists, but having two true associates of Ayn Rand in government in high, you know, you know, advisory places in the government, it would be like having, I don't know, Ankar Gatte and your own on major presidential committees with major presidential influence. I mean, it would be tremendous. And the commission staff members were influenced by Rand's arguments. That's what's so exciting and so tremendous. And the commission unanimously recommended ending the draft, which finally expired in 1973 when Congress refused to extend it. So this is, you know, this is the importance of ideas. If you can get some ideas in the right place, some rational ideas, AKA objectivism, you can change the culture. We can change the culture. What do we need to do? We need to speak. That's what we're doing every day here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. And that's why we need your super chats. Show me that you are valuing this. Don't be a freeloader, value for value, we're traders. So if you've watched two of our programs, hit us up with two euro. I mean, that's like, a dollar a program and think about all the Netflix that you subscribe to that you don't even watch. So let Rozzy Ginsburg, the gentleman who brings all this to you day after day after day, let Daniel, the behind the scenes genius, know that you value what we're bringing to you by sending us just a couple of shekels. It really means so much. And how about Ayn Rand for truly being instrumental in ending the draft in America and setting an example for the worldwide, uh, for worldwide. Now, I know what many of you probably right-wingers might be saying, well, you know, a draft inspires um, patriotism. Look at Israel. In fact, there's an Israeli objectivist who I met years ago who 
ran politics on a platform of opposing the draft and speaks out about opposing the Israeli draft. But as Ms. Rand points out, a free or even semi-free country has never lacked volunteers in the face of foreign aggression. There's many volunteers in Ukraine and there was tremendous volunteers in for 9-11 after 9-11. After 9-11, there was huge military recruiting. People wanted to protect and serve their country, protect the values that they believed in. So as Ms. Rand points out, there's never been an absence of people who have wanted to protect a free country. And they're not doing it because of sacrifice. They're doing it because they want to protect their values, their life, their career, their country, their property, their family, their values. Um, and in fact, the, the, the uh, voluntary force, in my, this is my interpretation now, acts as a real effective check on government, on government foolishness. And again, quoting from Ms. Rand now, not many men would volunteer for such wars as Korea or Vietnam without the power to draft. The makers of our foreign policy would not be able to embark on adventures of that kind. This is one of the best practical reasons for the abolition of the draft. And again, once again, beautifully always with Ms. Rand tying in and not tying in, but identifying that the moral is the practical. And nowhere can that be seen again in what is being attempted right now in Russia. The Russian people are victims, but um, they're victims, in my opinion, of their own doing because they have permitted this to happen in their politics. Robin Heenan says, motivated soldiers do much, so much better than soldiers who are and are forced to be there. Ukraine versus Russia shows this, absolutely. And of course, Russia is so much bigger, so much better equipped, et cetera. And Robin, thank you for, I wanna take a moment and thank our members on YouTube. What they do is they, it's like five pounds a month, which is really not that much. It helps us keep uh, all Daniel employed, helps us keep all this programming coming to you helps us keep the special book clubs if you're just reading any of these books for the first time. So thank you, Robin. Thank you, Phoebean, the integrator. Think about that, just integrating all the time. Bravo to you. Thank you all for being part of what we're doing here and being part of the super chat. You're making it happen. You're keeping it literally on the air. And Ms. Rand points it out. It's moral and practical. It's moral because you're supporting your values and it's practical because it's literally keeping us able to bring you this uh, uh, the uh, information day after day after day. And the best example of the moral being practical now is look what's happening. I mean, thankfully, the people are rebelling. Of course, not a lot, lot are able to. They're getting literally called up by guns and being forced. But, you know, a lot of these recruitment centers are getting set on fire. They're actually shooting some of the, you know, they're, they're running for their lives. I don't blame them. And, you know, this is just a headline from today. Conscripted Russian soldier immediately surrenders to Ukraine forces. And as I understand it from Daniel, um, who is a av, you know, he's a big part of our research team his as well. Ukraine is after offering some asylum to a lot of these soldiers saying, look, you're being coerced, put you under your guns. And, you know, look in, in war, I think that is, you know, I don't want to venture into the unknown, but that, you know, to me that shows they don't want, they don't want to un, you know, kill just indiscriminately for no reason. They want an end to this conflict as I understand it. So the draft is neither moral, it's neither practical. Ms. Rand understood that. What Russia is doing is truly horrific. They're using these people as absolute cannon fodder. And as, if you might not remember, but Ms. Rand 
was actually from Russia, you know, what we what is Russia? And a famous memory of Miss Rand was that asked at her going away party in St. Petersburg in 1926, a guest asked her to tell everyone in America that Russia is a cemetery and we are all slowly dying. Think about that. In 1926, Miss Rand was leaving uh, St. Petersburg. She knew she was never coming back. And someone said to her, tell them in America that Russia is a cemetery and we're all slowly dying. And I don't think the ideas have fundamentally changed in Russia at all. And this was the photo from Shutterstock, a billboard in St. Petersburg, the same town, depicting a soldier with the slogan, glory to the heroes of Russia in St. Petersburg. So look at that, you know, not a hundred, but close to a hundred years later after Ayn Rand left and the, the, the old man or the people in St. Petersburg tell them that we're a cemetery and we're dying. It's the same thing because the ideas have not changed and ideas are what rule the world. Thank you for supporting what we're doing here. We're only able to do it because of you. Two pounds at a time, five pounds at a time, becoming a member at Ayn Rand Center UK. Uh, and thank you, Kathleen. Kathleen says, fantastic episode with great quotes and principles. Thank you. Well, you know, they're Miss Rand's principles. We're students of Ayn Rand. We're learning about this every day. And frankly, what's so great about Ayn Rand is, you know, if the fiction is too much for you, there's so much nonfiction. I always prefer the nonfiction. I know that's, you know, a Shonda in many circles, but I prefer the nonfiction. So pick up something like, a, you know, the voice of reason, pick up the objectivist and read a little bit of an article like the wreckage of the consensus and learn why the draft is so immoral and learn not why it's immoral, just immoral, but why it's impractical and why it's failing so spectacularly in Russia as we speak. Um, Bonnie who Bertrand, who is a member on our Ayn Rand Center UK YouTube channel, says objective influence like Anderson is great, but the solution can't be objectivists in government. That sounds too close to philosopher Kings. The solution is advocating individualism in the culture. I agree. I agree. I mean, I also think at that time, the reason they were in government was that there was more individualism in the culture. I mean, you keep in mind, you're, I think, thinking of the time in which Milton Friedman was kind of breaking big in colleges. He was the kind of hot thing in colleges. And Ayn Rand was very popular at that period of time. She was very influential. So, but I, I agree with you fundamentally, Bonnie. And of course, that's a lot of what we're trying to do here with the Ayn Rand Center UK. We have a young audience. You know, they say you need a young hip host for, uh, attracting a young hip audience, you know, the line from Avita, get them while they're young, Avita, get them while they're young. So that's why they brought in Rucka to get that old audience. And they also need a uh, rich Alta Cockers as well. That's why they've got me. So thank you, Bonnie, for being one of them. And you're right, advocating individualism. That's what we're doing day after day after day after day here with the Ayn Rand Center UK, bringing people to read Ayn Rand. You know, the old cliche is true. I read Ayn Rand and it changed my life. So if you haven't read Ayn Rand, read Ayn Rand, read anything by Ayn Rand. Um, as I said, pick up a little bit of her nonfiction. Some essays are relatively short, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand words, and there's so much in them. Um, Gail always says, dad hated propaganda glorifying war. I mean, I, I agree, you know, as well. I mean, it, you know, we'll, maybe we'll do another show on some of the American slogans, you know, be all you can be, et cetera. 
But um, thank you, says Mr. Roberts. Says, Another good show. It's an honor to be on the channel with you. Thank you. Well, she's talking about honor in the Ayn Rand Center UK tomorrow. So as I said, ring the bell, become a member. You get a little thing on your phone every time there's a show. If you're out walking the dog, if you're at the pub having a pint, which is what I'm told, it's a lot of what happens in jolly old England. I don't know, what is it, 20, 30% of the time they're at the pub having a pint. It's a perfect time to put on the show. Put it on in the pub, live stream it in the pub. Thank you, Oliver. For uh, Oliver is now a member as well. So thank you so, so much. Oliver says, I got him. He's 22 years old. That's awesome. And I'll just quickly say, that's when I, well, a little earlier, but you know, in my early 20s, that's when I picked up Ayn Rand as well. I mean, still a student. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff says, thank you. And I'll say thank you. Jeff is a great member of the philosophy posse. And he's here learning about Ayn Rand with us day after day after day. And it's, it's learning, but it's fun. As I said, it's just like picking up something new, introspecting about it, thinking about your life. I mean, this shouldn't be dogma. I mean, go back and read this and think about it. Test it out in your own mind. Compare it to other things you've heard. And I think what you'll find is I've always found with Ayn Rand is that it's completely reasonable and comports with reality and true and true. Oliver says he's been listening to you guys really much for the last two weeks. Well, Oliver, let me tell you, if you're here in America, I want you to email or get in touch with our guy. You, you became a member here of the Ayn Rand Center UK on our YouTube channel. If you're in the US, I'm gonna send you a copy of my book, A New Textbook of Americanism, The Philosophy of, the, of Ayn Rand. Of course, it's Ayn Rand's book, but I expanded it with a lot of the experts that you see here on the channel, including um, Harry Binswanger, who has his own program here in the Ayn Rand Center UK. So get in touch with our guy. It, you know, you're a, you're a member, so we've got the VIP, and I'm going to send you a copy of the book if you're in the UK, also known as Jolly Old England. I'll send you an e-copy as well. So Fabian's been thinking about it. Fabian, great example, great example of a short book by Ayn Rand. I mean, her textbook of a new Americanism is like a thousand words. That's so effective. I mean, how judicious is she with language? There's no wasted words with Ayn Rand. So, um, well, Oliver, okay, get us, get in touch with us, and I'll send you an ebook as well. You're a supporter. We want to support your education about Ayn Rand. That's what we're doing here. So keep it tuned to the Ayn Rand Center UK because coming up, that's what I'm saying. This is not just, oh, once a week, you know, we pick our noses and do a podcast. This is a network. You're not going to see this on any other network. Uh, original programming inspired by objectivism hour after hour after hour. And coming up at 10 p.m. UK time, it's the cutting edge with Lee Pearson and the special guest Harry Binswanger and Jeff Frankel on psychoepistemology in a child's play. I'm just going to say, think about that. Harry Binswanger, who not only knew Ayn Rand, was with her at her passing, but also co-wrote a book with Ayn Rand. You know, the Ayn Rand lexicon was Harry Binswanger's idea. Ask him about this in the next show. And he worked with Miss Rand to determine which uh, language was going to be in and out of the lexicon. So we're bringing you programming from Harry that I'm just telling you in the 60s or in the 70s and 80s, you would have had to pay like hundreds of dollars to get on record sent to you to a listening party. So show us that you care. Show us that it's a value to you by hitting us up in the super chat and becoming a member. 
ring the bell and become a part of what we're doing. Oliver says it's going great. He's learning about Ayn Rand and that's just fun. There's so much to learn. I'm a student, I've been into it for 20 some years. And um, Raman asks, is the Ayn Rand Lexicon website, is that a book too? Yeah, I have the book here. I don't know. Uh, my, I, um, I, it, it was originally a book, of course. It was done as a book before the internet. And Harry was instrumental to doing that book. And we've got Harry coming up with you at 10 p.m. UK time. So keep it tuned here. It is a useful tool. And so are we, Robin. So thank you all for being part of what we're doing at Guy Ryan Center UK. Jonathan Honig from capitalistpig.com. Ring the bell, become a part of what we're doing. Hit us up by becoming a member and we'll see you back here at 10 p.m. U time for The Cutting Edge with Lee Pearson, Jeff Frankel, and Harry Binswanger himself. From Jonathan Honig, I just wish you best premises and be well.